Welcome, data people. We are Zuma. My name is Matt, and this is Data for Good. This podcast is brought to you by Zuma. Zuma is a dedicated recruitment company for senior data, insights, and analytics professionals, connecting you with Berlin's most influential companies. The Data for Good podcast is for the world of data analytics and engineering, giving you access to the thoughts and opinions of Berlin's most successful data people. Today, we are joined by Adam Mullen, Director of Engineering at Vinted. We've been looking forward to this podcast. It's going to be a juicy episode. Uh, Adam is going to talk to us about data privacy. Adam, welcome. How are you? Uh, I'm great, man. Thank you for asking. Um, yes, I, I'm Adam Mullen. I'm a, a, a Director of Engineering, but I'm working in the privacy space, specifically around member and and uh, employee data and the privacy that we have. So there's there's the tie in there. Maybe your listeners are wondering why why is the director of engineering on here? There's the answer. But we're we're doing some interesting things at Vinted. But um, in, in and while I work for them, I thought I should call out that anything I say here is about the, the opinions and the views that I have, and not necessarily Vinted. Um, although we do uh, we do use a lot of the practices that I might talk about today. So uh, do, you do you have any questions to start off with, man? Well, yeah, talk, privacy is a huge topic at the moment. It's very relevant. This is an area that you have a huge passion for. I think to start off with, where did your journey start? How did you become so aware of, of data privacy? Well, it's something that's been part of my various roles for you know, past couple of decades. Uh, usually it's more focused on in the internal processes and the controls that we have around the information in the data that the companies that I work for use. So I, I'm always interested to see what people are concerned about happening and, and how to prove to other people that we're actually doing the things that we need to do, whether it's, you know, SOC 2 compliance, ISO 27001, 27007, kinds of things that, that you might do. Uh, but now at, at Vinted and having the user base that we have, I really got into it because there's so many, there, there's just so many users in so many different uh, places where people use the, the, the platform that we're in. And some of these places are have have you know popped up as, as being at, at risk in our you know the the current um, the current geopolitical landscape. We're a Lithuanian company. We're we're mm. right next door to some some pretty not nice things happening mm. in the world. So what can we yeah. do to make sure that if anything happens anywhere where our members are, you know, that people are are safe? And you really it really got me to thinking about how much. Uh, we could be, we, we, we are doing and, and could be doing to help uh, people safeguard their privacy and their, their right to just be the type of person that they want to be without fear of repercussions, both, you know, just as our company, but also as just as, as technologists in general, you know, and plus we have all that GDPR stuff too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think reassurance is something that a lot of people need right now. Um, a lot of people don't really know the data infrastructure and what is happening when they're on the web. So I think it is a responsibility of, of companies taking that data to, to, to look after it. And it's an area that 
isn't always a priority. So using data privacy by design. So making sure that privacy is a priority in planning and the way the, the product is structured. You're heading up projects like this. How, how should a company use and be treating its consumers and, and users data? Well, um, I think it really depends on the kind of company you are. And this, this, I think this is more of an important question, I think, for, for the users than it is the companies themselves. What kind of, what kind of company do you want to be giving this information to? How do you, how do you know that they're going to use it? Um, and I think that, uh, for the companies themselves, knowing at, at the very least, you should know where this data is going and how it's being used. But we've seen very recently, wasn't there a, like a, a Senate committee hearing last week where some engineers of big companies stood up and said, uh, yeah, we actually kind of, we just hoover it all up and we're mm. not exactly sure where it might end up or how it's being used. Maybe even introducing the argument that no, no one person could ever really know how any of this stuff is being used. So as, as a company, um, trying to figure it out afterwards uh, is very expensive. And like I said, it never gets the attention that it needs. It needs a lot of mm. energy and energy being things like people's time, your budgets, the opportunity costs you might spend doing other things. It takes a, it takes a lot of work to reverse engineer where all this information is going. And that's where that pr privacy by design idea comes in. I think a lot of startups feel that ah, we're, we're too small. It's a premature optimization to take these things into consideration. But it's I don't think it actually it actually fits into that category of things like monolith versus microservices, premature optimization. I think that there's a definite benefit to following well what is a mandate in the GDPR to have some sort of program of privacy by design. And it goes further than I think a, a good company would ask, how does this feature, how might we get in trouble with uh, regulations? How might we violate uh, people's rights to privacy or otherwise impact them with this feature? That's what a good company would do. A great company would actually take that by design and through design idea to heart and make it a first class concern. How is this feature that we're going to build going to make privacy and security better for people. Asking that question at the very beginning and making privacy a first-class concern of the quality of service that you provide to people takes away the need to go and, and you know, uh, refactor and retroactively tack on the privacy at some point in the future. Mm. And this just makes good sense. We've all seen like the, the software uh, defect uh, removal curve in terms of time and money. It's like what, 650 yeah. something times more expensive to remove a defect after it's already in production than it is if you're addressing it in development. It's even cheaper to address those things by framing the design of the feature in a way that keeps, you know, with good requirements engineering, keeps the engineers in a path where they're not going to develop things that would yeah. need to be corrected during development or testing either. So you could take a you could you could spend a euro's worth of time and working on this question of how do, can we how does this feature actually 
make users more uh, secure in their privacy, or you could spend 650 of those euros later on after you've already deployed it and you have to undo all this stuff. So I think that, that speaks against the argument that it's a premature optimization to ask these questions. Really, if you start doing it right now, you get up on the right foot, plus you start to really, uh, you, you start to build that trust from your user base. I don't know. What does that sound like to you? It, prevention over cure. I think it's definitely proven. What I would question there is how, how important is education at the start? How does someone know one person might see an email address as that's just an email address. Another person might see that as you cannot have my email address. I don't want you emailing me. So where do we put education into the, the, the importance of various data points i i think that's a that's a that's a very good question uh, because you have to know when you're getting into something that might be a, a little bit thorny or impactful um and, and there's different people that are going to have different perspectives on that information an engineer might not consider the, the same things to be problems that say a marketing person or a data, data scientist might so having uh, at least a, a baseline of understanding of what is personal data at your at your organization or, or company is important for everybody. And then if you're using good software design and development practices, those people can bring the definition that they have in their heads, the, the view of it that they have um, to the discussion. And then you, once you have something that you've all hit on as, as, as a good possibility, there's always, there's people who are experts in, in this field that mm -hmm. you can bring into the discussion. Uh, hopefully, there's somebody at your organization who is monitoring the, the data privacy aspects. You've got a, a data protection officer, for example, uh, working over in legal or, or finance that mm -hmm. you can call and you can, you can ask questions. Uh, a lot of companies I've seen have a, an agreement with an external um, data protection uh, office officer service that they mm -hmm. can call and ask these questions to, I, I, you know, so the, the, we call them adventive, we call them privacy smells. We, we try to help people recognize when they can smell smoke and then they know, we, you know, our QAs are our fire, our smoke detectors. Right. They, they know to set off the alarm bells and, and bring in the firefighters, the, the privacy team. You might not have a full privacy team like we do, but helping people to understand these things, finding people, finding ways to support that innate passion that they have and, and yeah. giving them responsibility is the other part of that education. If you fill somebody's head with a bunch of great knowledge, but then you shoot them down every time they try to exercise it, that's, that's also an anti-pattern. So mm. maybe there's a role within your organization. Maybe there's a, a particular uh, guild or chapter that seems to be, that is part of all of the things that you do that seems to be more interested. Maybe it's data science and analytics. Maybe it's quality assurance because privacy is a dimension of quality in my book. Maybe yeah. but there's somebody out there on every one of your teams that that probably has a reason to care. Maybe the approach is, is, is uh, or perspective is different, but they can at least smell the things that they need to smell in order to bring somebody, somebody into that. Maybe it's your security team. Mm. Privacy and security are pretty interrelated. I was just going to say, I think 
people are very, very aware about security. Um, a lot of banking is digital and money doesn't tend to go missing. So security is very, very strong and the strict protocols. How can we bring that into privacy? I mean, first of all, what what, what is the difference between privacy and security? I have I have a personal answer for that. And it's like, if you think about chemistry and physics, chemistry is just applied physics. Physics is just applied math. It's some, some sort of harder thing that has that has more rigor around it that manifests itself as something tangible to whomever is uh, you know looking at it at, at that level of abstraction. So I would say that privacy is like the express the expression of security to people. Um, it's it's a it's a not a, a corner case. It's not an edge case of it, but it's a it's a it's a special flavor of security that's relevant to your your members, your clients, your your users, and and your employees. If you are if you are insecure, it's very unlikely that you would like that you'd be able to make any kinds of warranties towards how private the you're keeping the information now. And privacy to you as a person is might be different than privacy to me. There are different mm-hmm. things that I'm concerned about. But without the, the security teams giving those tools and providing that platform, or at least um, the basis for being able to uh, make sure that only people who sh- who I want to see certain information about me can see that, um, yeah, the, the the privacy doesn't doesn't happen. That so that's my explanation of the relationship between security and privacy. Now you're on more of the the data science and analytics side of this. What's what's would be your interpretation of security and privacy from that perspective? From the the data science side is where are we where is the data coming from is is a big point i think yeah we've we've got this um log of information and but where is it coming from should the data scientists and the analysts be thinking this is great findings but is it ethical are we getting this these insights the right way or are we turning a blind eye to it because it's given us some some great insights some great information so how can we train our data scientists because they could say oh the, the data's there i'm just using what's there but how much responsibility do we put on these individuals to be smelling out the the breaches or the shady gray area data yeah i think with with this kind of topic we're we're looking at um security and access management on on one hand can the people who should see these things are, are are is it is it okay for them to see it um that's that's one side because you have people who could be bad actors anywhere you could you could turn into a bad, bad actor tomorrow under the right set of circumstances not you but one yeah. <laughs> uh, i don't know you that well uh, but i'm willing to make that assertion um so you you want to keep uh track of you know you want to you want to minimize the the surface area there of 
of, of that risk. There's also, can you put this information together in a way that allows you to go from something that was relatively um, depersonalized mm -hmm. or even anonymized? Uh, in, can you put this information together in such a way that you can you can de-anonymize you could somebody or you you can you can uh, you know personalize put this in a personal context like one of the examples that we use a lot of vintage maybe there's a, a there's a village in in Lithuania where there's only one male user in that entire uh, you know fifty person population of, of the town and maybe uh, you know if we uh, this gets into like K, anonymous, K anonymization levels, like maybe it is possible to say, okay, give me every male, which is not necessarily personally identified or pers uh, personal data, um, who lives in this area, that area is not necessarily personal data, um, with a vintage account, not necessarily personal data, but those three things taken together, oh, we've got just one person. If, you, if you're like, a, I think a, a system that does highlights this fairly well and has good guardrails is PECON. If your organization uses the feedback tool, uh, it's kind of like a employee satisfaction survey there. Okay. They, they generally will not let you see the results from a team if there's only like three people in the team. Because if you see something as a, as a manager that you don't like, there's a real good opportunity for you to go and figure out, suss out who it was that said those things. We don't want that. We've, same all, we've all been there. We've all been there. Yeah. So we, we want to be able to ensure that that kind of situation um, isn't possible uh, either with the, the the data that we would we would collect, at least in my organization. Some organizations, actually, that's their entire bread and butter. So if, yeah. if, if that's who you're working for, maybe maybe this topic isn't for you. But uh, and I hope I'm not tipping too much of, of our hands here uh, on, on how we accomplish those things. But um, if if you are if you're looking at information and you're as a data scientist or an analyst can play a game and you can de-anonymize somebody out of the different and recombine some of these disparate pieces of information into into uh, something that allows you to identify a particular person or a, a group of people maybe you should consider whether or not this is something that you want to be that you want to enable within the system, maybe put some guardrails in there. Where mm -hmm. if you know working with your your infrastructure teams, if a result set is fewer than a certain amount, you know, take extra steps and precautions around those things. You can also not store the raw stuff that you get, and this this is also a financial decision too. I, mm -hmm. I know data scientists and the analysts and the designers. Whenever you ask, what information do you need? They go, all, all of it. <laughs> How long do you need to keep it around for? Forever. <laughs> um, that's the common answer. But ask yourself, challenge yourself, do we really need all of it? Can we, can we uh, either use some anonymization techniques on that data? Mm -hmm. um, stripping out, say, you know, octets of IP addresses so we can't say, we can say from which country or which locale, uh, a transaction originated, but not necessarily down to the, you know, uh, the person's street street name. address. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe we don't need to store the whole, if for, you know, you want to work with your teams and do a legitimate uh, impact, uh, you know, you need to check for like the legitimate in interest assessments on the information that you're collecting. Do we really need to know all about 
these these types of this type of information in order to make this kind of thing happen uh, with with our product? If the answer is no, don't keep it around. Keeping stuff around that you don't need is, is a great way to uh, get yourself in trouble with regulators, but also to open yourself up up to breaches. So illegitimate in, uh, interest assessments with either an external or internal uh, you know, uh, team that, that focuses on, on privacy helps. Mm. And you can look at those business processes and analyze, do we really, what information do we actually need and at what level? You might need to keep some of this information around in a very granular form for, uh, for certain regulatory requirements. Uh, like anti-money laundering things, but again, with the the data access and and controls, making sure that only the people who have a need to see those things and and you could you could point to them and say arrest those people, officer. They're the ones that did it. Um, if if something goes bad goes wrong, that you know it is how you control for those things. Um, so yeah, making sure that you keep only what you actually need to do to answer the questions that you need to answer. Um, you can always ask questions again later. For example, if you find, oh, you know, now that we've iterated on this feature to this point, it would have been helpful to know this as well. Well, then you're not, you're a going concern. You can start adding to, to your data set later, but always have like the bias of collecting less, have the bias of making sure that what you do collect can't be combined to meaningfully fully identify other people. And then, you know, if all else fails, making sure that you can tell you can tell an auditor, for example, who yeah. has access to this information and who has access to this information in case something something does happen. And that, and that definitely speaks to the uh, relationship to security because security is yeah. very about. They have all the logs. They know who's been looking at what. And that way you can demonstrate the auditor phrases, demonstrate the control as documented. If somebody comes and asks you and says, like, show me what happened on Tuesday uh, you know, the 36th of, of whenever, and yeah. they come back and you can, you can say, you know, for sure this happened and it happened according to our processes. Yeah. And as the requirement and the need for privacy to be ever featured within a structure within a company is no longer just a nice to have it's, in fact, becoming a human right in, in a lot of cases. And we hear that in companies that the, I guess that's the Valhalla for a lot of people that privacy becomes a human right. Where do you see it currently? I think that um, most companies uh, are focusing on privacy as a regulatory requirement. And I don't know if uh, it's because the proposed legislation in the US or the existing legislation in Europe with GDPR puts a lot of focus on being fined and, and what could happen if you, if you don't do things right. So there's this obligationist kind of perspective to it. And, and at the end of the day, I think corporations can only really, they, they, they don't operate under a duty-based kind of ethics. They, they operate under an obligationist kind of thing. We, we do what we, you know, it's almost utilitarian. The ends justify the means. The, the profits yeah. justify what we do, and we do 
only when we restrict ourselves only when it comes to the letter of the law. This is also easier to follow and make the argument for because if you can go to a C CIO and say, hey, buddy, you're going to jail or, hey, buddy, you're going to have to pay this, this amount of fines if you don't fix these things, you, you get some you get some traction there. Yeah. If it turns into, oh, if you if you don't do uh, a good thing for people's uh, you know privacy exposure, well, then you could lose out on some business. You need a much harder argument there, and and the argument of hell, we should we should spend five million, fifty million, whatever millions uh, to do something just because we want a good people to be good people that's mm. something that doesn't really win out in a lot of uh corporate environments maybe in in some other uh you know uh, uh public sector things but the private sector is it's hard to find those things so i think most places are not focused on the human right just yet but i would put forth the assertion that if you start from the human rights kind of perspective what kind of duty would we like people to have towards becomes easier to implement uh you know the the requirements become easier to implement they're easier for your the people at your organization to understand and it keeps you closer to safe harbor it's mm -hmm. but it's also regulation written by you know lawyers and non-technologists and it was also it's also almost like what eight years old now in, in case of gdpr so yeah. it's a little behind the times so that that's not necessarily enough. You still do have to worry about the compliance risks and things like that. But if you're if you're looking at it as, as a human right, it keeps you closer to safe harbor on um, stuff that uh, could really get you in trouble. What needs to happen next to improve the status quo? Ooh, ooh, good, good questions. Um, uh, the the cynic in me says uh, heavy fines, <laughs> and really, uh, so uh, the the I think the biggest fine yet handed down by the German authorities uh, was due to a I think it's what is it, Article Twenty Two infraction. The GDPR requires us to have whoops a, my water a program of privacy by design. It's it's right. there in the regulation in the legislation. It's really vaguely and poorly spelled out, but that was the one that that uh, a, a German company has been nailed the hardest on. Mm. Um, so I think that if we if the German government, for example, continues to focus on the existence of a privacy by you know by design and default program within the organization and being able to demonstrate that that's there. Um, that might be the next step towards help, like starting at the beginning and helping the stuff that falls out the end uh, be in a in a better state. Um, but I, I I think that uh, the that 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 fear of being uh, being fined and they can be massive amounts is is what needs to happen next in order for people to take more notice and it's kind of like the thing like you hear about it happening to other people but you never think about it happening to you until it happens to your company so i i hope it doesn't have to to get to that point well the 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 non-cynical side the optimist in me says 
we look at the situations that are going on in the world and we ask ourselves, are the, are the euros and the dollars that we could earn this quarter worth our customers leaving us because they've cottoned onto the game mm -hmm. and because people are becoming much more savvy about this? Is, is it worth losing the, the 10x, 100x that in the, in the total lifetime value of the, these customers? Is it worth this acting like this? And hopefully people starting to say, no, we, we see like all the flare ups around uh, in browser war 3.0 now um, between uh, more privacy oriented options like Mozilla uh, uh, pitted against the, the, the Chromes and the Safaris and, mm. and the, the Internet Explorers of the world. They're all great products for, for most people. I think that in the past, there was a smaller subset of people who would just stick to one or one of those products because of how they treated privacy. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's just my, my own bubble, but I hear a lot more conversations uh, from um, the developer community, especially, but also places outside of the developer community that you wouldn't have thought of. The marketing community is another one where we're talking about how the tools that we optimize our workflows for, mm. um, you know, uh, in, inform the our users about our stance on these things and and how we want to continue to support them. You know, yeah, cookies cookies may go away, but what other kinds of tracking things are out there? People are becoming much more savvy. Uh, are, have you seen these articles? Maybe this is my my litmus test. Have Have you seen these things going across the airwaves? These conversations happening. I think. Spain, I think, has handed out quite a few big ones. I saw, I think, an 80 million um, fine handed out recently. And, and more and more articles are popping up that do you take it into your own hands? Do, should we be relying on a, a company to have strict privacy regulations or should we be taking it upon ourselves to use VPNs, DuckDuckGo versus Google, Mozilla over Chrome? Should it be our own responsibility to protect ourselves or should we rely on company goodwill and or regu regulatory um, governing bodies to protect us, I guess? Yeah, I, I think that the, well, you, you saw how long it took to get GDPR passed and you, you saw, and you, you see how long uh, it, or how quickly it's being updated and adapted not not very quickly so i think that if if you want to stay ahead of that as an individual um you start becoming you need to get a little bit more privacy awareness mm. around these things for yourself and protecting yourself hopefully the tools remain available and the only i think the only way that they do though is if we have people who are who are using them so it's a it's a little bit of a of a uh, reinforcing loop there that that needs to happen. Um, maybe that's something for for the listeners here. Ask that question: How can you know you better safeguard your privacy? What tools are out there? And, and take a look into maybe some of the issues that um, really might concern you, or at least um, the the company and the products that that you work on. Uh, you, you might be surprised to see some of the the gaps that are out there that are maybe not. Uh, commercially lucrative yet but we didn't think a lot of the the surveillance capitalism type stuff we would have thought this was all star trek 
kind of science fiction 20 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, it, but the, the legislation will take a long time to catch up to those things. That would be my answer to your question. It's I wouldn't leave it up to the regulators solely. They can mm. provide the stick, but you need to provide the carrot in terms of dollars and, and euros that you would spend with these companies in order to lead them into the direction that you would want them to, to go into. Yeah, and I think it's more and more data is being used, it's being tracked, um, but I think the awareness is is massive, personal aware, awareness of, of what is being used and also maybe thinking ahead, data that you think won't be used probably will be uh, in the future. IoT devices here, there, everywhere. I still think things like Apple Watches and um, Fitbits have, have yet to be tapped into. Um, but... I, I think that it's, it's just because the market isn't ready to pay for the information that's there. I don't know if you're familiar with the company uh, or the, the application Strava for runners and cyclists. Um, they were able, they, they, their original business model, I believe, was to offer the service as cheaply as possible for free in most cases, because they were going to help, uh, they were going to use their data sets to help uh, municipalities plan out their, their infrastructure. Where should we put uh, roadways? How can we make the, our, our cities more cycling friendly, uh, more enjoyable for people? You know, what routes are people using? What attracts people? But the municipalities weren't really ready to pay for that yet. So about, uh, I think it was like two years ago, they started to try and monetize their platform other ways. If that, mm. if that changes, that data now becomes much, much more valuable um, that, they're, that they're collecting with, with your Apple Watches and your Fitbits and, and those kinds of things. Maybe if the U.S. ever goes uh, some kind of single-payer healthcare um, system, for example... Uh, now Apple knows who who gets off their butt and moves around and to what extent and in yeah. what areas and, and how we might have to structure some of the 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 claims and the um yeah, the, the different the, what, the premiums for yeah uh, the people get very fine grain somebody can make a, a lot of money uh doing that if you're if you're listening and you want to use that feel free to use that because I have no interest in it well um, some insurance companies have started using it to incentivize people to be healthy. Um, but what's the other end? Are people going to be start penalized with that same set of data, um, which is probably not what we want to see. It usually starts with good intention and ends up um, on the dark side, shall we call it. Um, well, time has flown. It's been a fantastic conversation, Adam. Um, let's wrap up with a final question and touching on what uh, we just spoke about then. What would the number one tip be to become more data privacy aware? I think that it doesn't take much. Go go on, on, on Reddit and, and read the World News subreddit. One of the, one of the biggest ones there and, and scroll through and I, and I, I bet you on, on the first page there's something talking about how your information, the things that are that identify you as a person, are are being used to to either sell you things in a way that you didn't like, or to make uh, make up uh, policy or commercial decisions about you that 
are disfavorable to you. Uh, I think especially in the next couple of weeks up until the end of the year with all the, the browser war things going with the, the different uh, uh, tracking um, and changes in how we track people, that's, that's you can you just really have to open your eyes and be curious and look. If you want to to know more about these topics, there's there's lots of interesting uh, books and, and blogs to follow out there. There's also um, some great uh, there's also some great resources like uh, the EFF if you're in the U.S. The, that you can go to and oh what's the one uh, N O uh, I'm drawing a blank. I'm sorry for the dead air. Um, there's a, there's a lot of sites out there that will help you. NOIB um, uh, NOIB.eu is a is the European Center for Digital Rights, uh, and they do a lot of investigative reporting and and um, uh, uh, technical review teardowns of yeah different tools and things like that. I think Max Schrems is the, the guy that runs that. So go go and check that out. Read some of Max's books. Uh, check out that nonprofit and go down that rabbit hole. There's there's lots of stuff on there. Amazing. Interesting. There's so much more to, to uncover. You've, you've taught us a lot today. We could have spoken for a, a lot longer. I think these topics lead quite nicely into a future podcast and we would love to have you on again on the, uh, in the future. Um, but that's unfortunately all we have time for today. Thank you very much for your time and your rich insights, Adam. It's been educational for us all and a topic I think everyone will uh, want to know more about. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Looking forward to stuff in the future. Fantastic. And uh, to the listeners, as always, drop your questions and, and feedback to us. We'll pick out some to be answered on, on future podcasts. Uh, don't forget to, to like and share. Um, reach as many people as possible, especially with some uh, really good tips and information that we shared today. Uh, but it is bye from us. Thanks once again, Adam. You're welcome. Thank and you. Ciao. Ciao for now.